Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. Having a salon team is like, well, catch 22. If your team isn't performing and hitting their targets, but they want to earn more, but actually work less hours. And maybe your team is amazing at 90% of the time, but 10% of the time, shit completely hits the fan. And then it feels like nobody's getting along. Your team says to you that they want to move up the ladder. They want more, need more. But then they just leave before they even finish their apprenticeship and put the full work effort in. Sometimes it makes them feel like they are the enemy. Does it make them the enemy? Many salon owners fall victim to this at some time or other, believing that it's actually their team's fault. It's this generation's fault. It's easier to blame them for not performing well enough, but I actually believe it's actually our responsibility as the salon CEO to lead them towards success. It's your job to lead your team and to empower them to meet their targets and to reach their career goals. I believe it starts with good communication and and building a strong relationship with your team. So in this episode, I'm going to give you a bit of a sneak peek into my two-day Salon Mastery Intensive Workshop, and I'm going to reveal the secret to the team communication that you've actually been missing this whole time. The real reason this generation doesn't understand you and how to become a confident leader with the tools to lead a new generation in 2023 and beyond. Pop on those headphones and let's get in. Um, Righty right, let's just dive straight in, shall we? Um, I wanna talk about empowering principles around communication because low performance is one of those things that's challenging for us when we experience it from our team when they're not performing well. Things like when they don't like target, but they want to work less or earn more. Um, when they're hard to manage, even the good ones sometimes, you know, can baffle us and confuse us. Um, managing people is hard. Um, we're in a time where people don't complete their apprenticeships. They're in and out of jobs quickly. They leave halfway through. So they're in, you know, we don't get a lot out of our team always. Um, and it's tricky when people don't when they leave they don't stick to it and there's no grit so what I see as a result is often it makes us feel like they are the enemy now we might not be having that that exact thought literally they are the enemy but you know we can find ourselves well it's clearly them it's uh, they're the enemy it's this generation those people over there they're just hard to manage Um, and I often witness this dynamic because I talk with business owners all the time. Um, And I know that I've been there several times in the early days of running a business. Um, It's much easier to look at other people when things aren't going well or things are hard and when we don't make ends meet in the business or somebody's unkind or we see, you know, the eye roll 
you know, there's always somebody, um, my 2IC and I always used to call it um, the face. We would always have someone who was the face. Do you know this face? <laughs> and we would just get the face happy or the face would leave or we'd manage them and they'd be happy and, and we'd go, oh, great, we solved the face. And then there was another face. There's always a face. So um, um, it can be painful. And it's much like a deep relationship. And when people leave, it is a little bit like a painful breakup. So um, unfortunately, we're the ones that get left awake at night. Who said that earlier? Erica, I haven't had many night wide awake uh, dealing with the issues swimming around and around and around inside of our head. So it's super easy for us to take the brunt of that and be super stressed. It's easier to blame them for not performing well and that they're putting stress upon us and it's clearly them problem. So um, is that true? Am I the only one that's ever had sleepless nights? Surely not. Um, can you give a, a yes, a why for yes in the comments? If you've had a night lying awake, probably, I don't know if you're anything like me, I wake up at three is the wake up time. Um, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then sometimes I don't get back to sleep until like half past six, my alarm goes off at seven. I'm in the best sleep between half past six and seven and then my alarm goes off. So. Um, not cool, and we want to get over that. Really, all we want is to work with good people who do good work or actually stay for the long term. We just need a break already, right? So um, we just want good people to come, do the good work, perform high, you know, do good performance, high-performing teams. Surely, it's not asking too much. And sometimes we can go, Ugh, this generation just doesn't get it. Whatever generation you are, the one before, they don't get it. Um, but I actually think 95% of the time it's probably our fault to a degree. And so I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, our reaction to their lack of performance is often what drives people to either continue the performance or drives people away. Um, and it leaves us with a bunch of three-star players. It drives away the five-stars and we're left with the three-stars. Or worse, no team. People are leaving in droves. This is not clearly what we want. And the fact is our team will never outperform us as the leader and our ability to lead people towards good performance. Um, and this is where we're starting today. Good performance, uh, good leadership for good high-performing teams starts with good communication skills. Um, it's up to us to lead the way and become the leader. Um, and we want to become a confident leader with the tools to lead a new generation. You know, and every, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be the generation, you know how they X, Y, and Z generations, it's not exactly every 10 years, there sort of seems to be some sort of grouping that happens that I'm not privy to, but um, we need to know about the generation that's coming up. Um, and I think having our communication strategies down pat, um, helping build trust, I think is super important, building positive relationships is going to help us towards having high performance and ensuring um, that I think this is really important ensuring that we have a communication that communication culture that's installed with intention not just good luck or just because we're good nice people or we've managed to collect a nice bunch of humans around us because as soon as somebody leaves like the perfect team you know when you've got a really great team and you've just got that it just hums Unfortunately, it's not going to stay like that forever. It's a fluid, dynamic thing. And when somebody leaves, we don't want to be left with a weak spot in their business because we haven't installed a culture with intention. It was just good luck. Um, and so 
we want to install that. This is what we're going to do, be doing today. But I want to just talk a little bit about the generation and what, what changes are coming up and allow us to be a little bit more calm and confident with our, le with our leadership so we don't end up being sleep-deprived and overwhelmed. Um, all right, let's, let's dig into it. Sound good? I, I, by 2025, which is really soon, like there's only two years away, nearly 30% of the population, working population, is going to be Generation Z. There's two billion of them. With a lot of these young, beautiful young people, I own two of them. Um, it's the first generation who are, who are being considered to be truly global, and that's just because music, movies, celebrities, um, all of that information is globally available to us. And while my mum said to me the other day, I was, at, I was at her place for the weekend and we went for a walk on the beach and she said, oh, this, you know, this generation, she said, they're, they're so insular inside of their phones. And I said, they are insular inside of their phones, but at the same time, they're completely global. Like my son, he's 16, he doesn't matter where we go, I was going to say in the world, but we haven't left the country for a long time. And it doesn't matter where we go in New Zealand, he has friends wherever we are. He is uber connected to people at the top of the North Island, at the bottom of the South Island, in tiny towns. Doesn't matter where we go, he'll have a meetup with some people. People are truly global now. And it's changing the way through technology, the way that people think, um, the fact that we're culturally diverse now, fashion, food, online entertainment, all of those trends are global. And so the, the way that this generation thinks is different. And this is hugely important for us as employers to consider how is this going to affect our business moving forward as employers. So I want to step you through three things um, to consider. Um, because Gen Z, so Gen Z is this generation that's coming up. Um, I'm just going by memory now, but they're kind of reaching the 20 now-ish. Um, and they're the first generation that was born with a device literally in their hands. Um, and we have to keep up with this in the way that they think. Having, you know, used it from, <laughs> I've seen videos of babies reading a magazine trying to scroll the magazine. This is a baby in a nappy trying to scroll the magazine. And so their brain is just wired that way. And it permeates every part of their life. Um, for example, my kids don't know this gesture. Like, this is call me. They don't call. <laughs> they call or they text. They don't do this. Um, and they don't know wind down the window. They push the button to go down the window. And so life is different. Um, my son, same walk with my mum, actually, over the weekend. It was obviously off topic. And we were talking about uh, my stepdad was trying to scroll his book. Um, and so my son said, you know, actually, I was playing soccer the other day. Um, and for a split second in my mind, I thought that doesn't matter if I fall over because I'll have another life. Do you know what he was referring to? He plays, um, oh, it's gone out of my head. Anyway, it's a game where they run around and they shoot and all the things and they can get killed and you get three lives. You know, it's a pretty standard thing. So for a split second, he thought that he would, doesn't matter if he falls down, he's got another life. And you could totally realise it in real life. But oh my God, this is like, this is different. The way that they think and what the things that are coming out of their uh, mouth is completely different. Um, 
So how we communicate is going to have to evolve as this next generation comes up. For example, when I um, had my cell and we had a no phone policy, you left your phone in the bag um, and you just didn't have a phone in front of your client. That was like a no-go, but I think um, how we do things around here is going to have to change. We had a policy that you had to, if you were sick, you had to call and speak to a human. Just that, that kind of speaking to a human is not a thing anymore. So these are just small examples of the way that we're going to have to change the way we think and, and evolve the way that we um, uh, do business. When we had our huddle this morning with the team in the office, we all stood around with our phones and our phone was telling us what we were doing today. And so um, times have changed. And if, if we want to set them up for success, we're going to have to refine the way that we do things. And we want to be open and embrace the future, aka technology. Um, I actually think there's a lot of a lot of advantages for adapting and adopting new technology inside of our business, and it's going to serve us well in the future. Um, the other thing with Gen Z is that they're going to be here for a good time, not a long time. And I think this is a really important mindset to think about. Um, they're mobile in terms of technology, but it also in terms of uh, their lifestyles. And so the stats... Um, are quite staggering. They're going to move homes, jobs, and careers faster than ever. Um, and today's school leaders is expected to have 18 jobs across six careers in their lifetimes. That's quite staggering. Um, and live in 15 homes in their lifetime. I think I've lived in more than 15 home, homes just in my childhood, but maybe I was the exception to the rule. Um, but 18 jobs across six careers is that's a different ball game. And I want us to be prepared to have a business that is set up and prepared for both simultaneously, both uh, engaging team members who stay for the long-term and engage in long-term relationships, but also be prepared for a good time, not a long time. And that's gonna need a change and shift in our mindset. So I think the things to think about for the future um, are a couple of key things. And I want you to take note. First is training them. We have to shift the way that we train and we need to train for rapid change and build our businesses. I like to say a bit like a machine that can, that can cope with uh, high volumes of movement. We can't hold on to the idea of we're going to have this person and really build their long-term career. I think that is going to negatively affect us moving forward. Um, we need to be prepared and have systems and processes in place that are going to be okay with rapid change and not to negatively affect our business. People come, they'll stay for a good time and then they'll go. Um, education is rapidly changing around the world and the face of education is already changing. Um, let's take universities. And I know probably as a group, we're not uh, people that... Not a lot of us go to university because we choose apprenticeships instead, but the likes of university are struggling to keep up with the rapid change around technology and how education is delivered. Um, there's a wealth of um, knowledge and technology and it's changing and big institutions are, are struggling to keep up with that. Um, while it's also predicted that this next up and coming generation, 50% of them are likely to go into tertiary education. Now, previous generation, 30% went to tertiary. My generation, no, my generation was 30%. The next generation was 40% of them went to um, tertiary education. And then 50% is likely to go to tertiary education in this up and coming generation. So that's changing a lot. 
Um, but what's happening is many degrees are not um, making the student, um, the graduate, ready for the workplace. And so the skills that they're coming out of universities aren't necessarily being utilised or are even useful when they go into the real life workplace. And so institutions, uh, education institutions can't keep up with that pace of change. And so I think as a result, the hair and beauty industry is actually at an advantage here because we already have an apprenticeship program an in-work training environment established. We're used to this. We know how this works. And um, it, the work skills or the real-life tangible skills are going to, the responsibility is going to fall more on the work uh, the workplace rather than the educational institution. So there's going to be this massive shift. Um, and I think that this is time for us to stand up as an industry and fight for this industry being a good option. There's no student debt, or well, typically uh, not student debt. Um, and so I think we're a step ahead and I think that bodes well for us. We just have to stand up and fight for it and show people how this is a good option. Um, and I think we're doing some good things and the benefits are playing, paying off now with the way that we've changed how we're doing recruitment around here. And we're seeing um, the benefit of really promoting um, more than uh, just a job. Does that make sense? Um, two more key points. And that is that video is, we know that video is the way that things are done. Uh, now and for this generation, but I think we need to think about it as, an, as employers um, and using and opting for video uh, inside of our workplace. Um, and so I think this is an advantage, last intensive or the one before when we set up systems and processes and using things like creating our own video hub or our own uh, meta workplace was one that we typically adopted and really utilizing those technologies and skills because this generation is going to really resonate with video. Now, why I'm excited about that is because I call that leverage. While you can video something once and you can leverage that one time, multiple times for your up and coming, up and coming generation, because you're going to have people turning over fast. They're not going to be here for a, a long time. You don't have the bandwidth or the human bandwidth to teach one-on-one -on -one and then they're, you know, they're here for six months and they're gone. And so um, really... Uh, focusing down on harnessing that is going to be to your advantage moving forward. And the last comment I want to make is that um, this coming generation, the ones that are in our workplace now plus the one coming up, is um, definitely very peer friendship, peers, um, connected and rely on um, their peer networks more than ever, thanks to social media, right? Um, and so social influence of people's environment, and you probably experienced this already, who you connect with and how you communicate um, is dramatically changes the way that people live, right? So we're, it's a very influenced generation, um, and, and particularly in a, geog you know, in a, a global way, I guess because people are connected 24-7. So I already shared about my, my son um, being connected all around the country, but I think the thing to note as um, an employer of how that affects us in our team environment and how important communication and culture is going to be because peers are going to be a stronger influence than we can ever be. So I think it's up to us to first adopt the view of others and take a moment to hop into the mindset 
or the viewpoint of the people that we're employing um, before we adapt the way that we do business. And remember, we need to have a balance of experience and new perspective. So if we can, you know, um, take ourselves and, and I like to say literally hop into their head and, and think the way that they think and view through their eyes. Um, but I'm not saying throw away the experience that we bring to the table. It has to be a, a, a collection of bringing together our experience that we've had for being in business plus the new way of thinking. And it has to be a meeting in the middle. Otherwise, we're never going to, um, our team is never going to outperform our ability to communicate and lead uh, people that are potentially different to ourselves, right? And meet them where they're at. Um, so I kind of think, you know, there's, there's 2 billion Gen Zs. We cannot afford to sit on our hands and complain about the generation that is coming up, either the current generation in our workplace or, or God forbid, we're only just getting used to that, let alone the new generation that's coming. Can't afford to sit around and complain um, about it because there's more of them than us. We have to um, first adopt and then adapt. So it's up to us. What are your thoughts on that? I would love to know. Um, have you experienced this? Is this a challenge that you're already facing? And what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I agree. That, that is the answer. We have to embrace it. We can't push against it. Um, we can't say, screw you, I'm going to roster you 10 hours and they can only cope with six. We just have to do it differently. And we have to build our business model differently to adjust for that. Um, for example, you know, if we need 60 hours of people on the floor and they can only do six, we need 10 people to do that rather than for people to do whatever the math was. Um, so we do need to adapt and change. Hey, are you loving this episode so far? Oh, by the way, it's Greta here, Salon Mastery Success Coach at Salon Owners Collective. So I wanted to pop in and ask you something. Do you ever feel like you are winging it when it comes to your business? You started your own business so that you could live the life you wanted with freedom that you wanted earn great money and be a leader. But the reality is the amount of effort you're putting in isn't giving you an equal reward. You're exhausted and you don't know what to do about it. No matter what you do, you just can't seem to get ahead. You see other people winning and seeing success, but how come it doesn't work for you? You wish you had a clear laid out plan, something to guide you in the right direction or help you with what to do next. What can you do that actually works? In reality, many salon owners feel this way. You aren't alone. If you are nodding your head as you listen to this, then you need the Salon Mastery proven nine part plan to grow your salon. That's right, no more winging it. The Salon Mastery nine part plan has given hundreds of salon owners a plan to grow, build a rockstar team, attract dream clients, and become a salon CEO. Our plan will work for you too. To uncover the nine part proven plan, just click the apply now link in the show notes of this episode. Okay, now back to the episode. Um, but I want to dive into now um, three key P's, key three key parts um, of empowered leadership. And so I want to talk about empowered relationships um, and then set ourselves up a communication strategy and then also um, a rhythm for rolling out that and um, uh, and then we'll take a break. All right, are we ready to go? 
Okay. Um, let's talk. Let me just do one thing on my screen. Hold on, Paula. I'll make that go away. Okay. Um, I think something that I know I'm, I'm guilty of this. This is this comes from my personal experience and also my observation with working with owners like yourself. And that is that, you know, um, we'll often wait for others, aka our employees, to prove themselves before we give them a chance. Like often um, we'll wait if they've, uh, like you prove to me that you can do it and then I'll give you a chance. Or you prove to me that you can do X, Y, and Z and then I will do my part. Um, and I think uh, we need to take the lead and step them into action uh, and empower our people. I think we need to do it differently. And the first part of that is actually deciding that we need to trust our people and to trust first. We can't wait until um, they come to the party. This generation is not going to come to the party and most employees don't step up first. We need to decide to take action first. And the first part of that is deciding to trust, even if they've broken trust in the past or even if they haven't proved themselves yet because it's a new relationship. We need to choose to trust and change the pattern. We need to go first. We're the parent, we're the, the employer, we're the elder, if you will. Um, and, yeah, I, I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that it, it is a decision, trust is a decision that we need to choose and make. It's not a logical uh, decision um, because often, like, if somebody breaks our trust or somebody hasn't built the trust, it's hard for us to go first. But I think as the employer, we have to decide it's not about us, what it is that we need, it's about them, giving them a chance to step up first you have to go first you have to be the parent in the relationship um, and step in with faith that they will rise to the occasion which brings us on to my second point which is expectation is powerful and if we trust people first and give them the opportunity first um, when you need people to change their behavior and you expect it and hold respect for yourself or for the respect for the job or respect for the client and then expect more from them, they're more likely to rise to the occasion. So I expect someone, for example, uh, and I'll, I, I, I've got teenagers, so um, this is a common uh, example for me. But when I say to my child, someone of your age, at 16, I expect you to be able to do this, there's some trigger that goes off in their mind and they will rise to the occasion, even if they don't believe that they can do it or they've never done it before. Right? Most people will rise to the occasion if you lift the bar for them. Um, so we need to trust them first, even if they haven't done it before, and, um, and expect good work ethic, expect good behaviour, and expect a good attitude. And for the most part, people rise to the occasion if you do that. And that's hard and counterintuitive because often we expect people are like, oh, I'm not going to do that, or this generation won't do this, or previous employees haven't behaved in that way, or even them, they haven't, um, haven't done that before. But when we don't give in and hold them to it, um, it, it changes. And then thirdly, if we trust first, we raise the bar and uh, level up expectation, then we need to make sure that we model 
with action. Now, this is a hard one because you can know something in theory or have expectations in your mind, but actually doing it yourself is hard. We're juggling a lot of things. And I know for me, this is the one that I'm constantly checking in on myself. Am I doing what I said I, um, that I'm expecting from other people? Um, and so if we want something from others, our behavior or our actions are always going to speak louder than the words that we say. So we can say that we want something from somebody or this is how we do it around here. We've got to make sure that we do that. And I know for me as a creative entrepreneur, I love to create ideals and rules and the way that we do things. I hate to follow systems. So this one for me is a hard one because I'll set up systems and processes in my idealistic way that I want things. And then I have to follow the rule. And it's really hard to self-reflect sometimes on that. And so I think this is why this is important. If we're going to set these things, we need to say what it is that we want and then make sure that we're doing it the same. And verbalize trust even when we don't have it. Yeah, like fake it till you make it. I trust that you will do this. Have you ever said that to somebody? Like I would say this to my 16-year-old often. I trust that you can do this. In my back of my mind, I was like, there's no way in hell he's going to do this. <laughs> it's going to be a miserable failure, but I trust that you're going to do it and he will rise to the occasion. Um, so, for example, my 16-year-old um, is, because this is probably the most uh, contentious relationship, this is why they'll use this as an example. Um, if I push him towards something, he will react back. Now, I have thought personality, and we're going to learn about this shortly. He is also a thought personality. And so if I raise my voice and yell at him, he yells back. Has anybody got a team member like that? Like if you raise the voice, the voice will come up or a child like this. And so I have learned that I cannot give him the behavior because I'll get it straight back. He is a complete mirror of me. And I think it's the same with our, uh, any relationship that we have is that we're going to get back what we give. And um, so we've got to watch what we're doing first. And so if you're not getting what you want out of the relationship or people aren't following through, we've got to look at ourselves first. And are we getting a mirror back from what it is that we're doing? And then we need to show them the way. So it's super hard for me to not, when I'm super frustrated or it gives me attitude, to not yell at him or raise my voice or put too much weight in what I'm saying and keep super calm and clear that I have to do that because then I'll get the same back and we can have a good uh, connected relationship. So um, modeling behavior, watching where you're at for all of those reasons. Do any of those examples um, resonate? The one is like setting rules and regulations or um, the way that we do things and then having to follow them. And this, this came to my mind out of several conversations that I've had in these coaching calls as well as my own experience, particularly with my son. So I know that it resonates somewhere. Um, okay. And when they don't, of course, we want to show them step by step or model the behavior that, we've, uh, that we're after. Um, and I think often we forget in times of frustration or we're not getting the behavior that we want, that we forget to break it down and show people step by step. There are three reasons why people don't do the things that we want them to do, either because they literally don't know how to, they don't know the steps, um, or they don't want to because they don't believe in it, or they don't understand why. So it's either the how, the why, um, and, and that's when we've got to pair it back. And so most people aren't misbehaving or badly behaved uh, or bad humans for that matter um, 
we need to break it down and give, them, give it to them step by step. All right, trust first. Um, raise the expectation um, and then actions speak louder than words. How are we doing for time, Judy? Amy, actually? Or Carly, anyone will do. <laughs> um, let's talk about communication strategies. Um, I want to give you something a little bit more tactical and practical on the back of that. One of the things um, that I know I've experienced a lot and I see often is that um, we can get a little bit in, a, a bit into imposter syndrome. Um, or feel scared to connect closely with the people around us in our, in our business. And we feel fearful that um, they might see that maybe, I don't know, I'm going to give you some examples of, of my own. Um, maybe that they will see, if I bring my, my team too close to me or I communicate with them too much, that they'll see that I don't really know what I'm doing or that they'll judge me harshly that... Um, uh, you know, it's all a facade. Do you know that imposter syndrome? Did any of you listen to the podcast I did on imposter syndrome? Um, she was just super amazing. Um, and I think, as she said in that podcast, um, we suffer from this more than we probably realise. Um, and so I, I see many of you reacting with our teams and not really communicating anything that's happening inside of the business, what's going on in the business, what are the changes that are happening right now, what's going on for you as a human or as a business owner, and we just expect them to know or expect them to understand. The other one is when somebody new comes into the business and they've been in the industry for a long time and we expect that they will know. And I think that's a mistake. I think we need to instead um, bring people in and bring them closer. So the key point is bring them close, not further away. Do you know that, that old saying of bring your, bring your enemies closer? Um, and remember our team aren't our enemies, but sometimes it can feel like that. So there are three things I want you to think about. Assumption is the enemy of empowering relationships. And so we want to bring people into the conversation, not push them further away. Empowerment, you know, empower them to be part of the conversation, part of the decisions that are happening around here, and bring them in to be part of the solution. Um, I know for me, this was really um, transformational for myself being a leader, because I was definitely, I can think about, um, I was definitely fearful of bringing people in. Um, but what I discovered is when I bring people into the conversation with the problems that are happening or help problem solve, is that other people find better solutions sometimes than me and so I, I used to have a little office in the salon behind reception and there'd always be someone coming up to the door and and, um, and saying Larissa can I should I could I would I and my uh, standard answer became um, I want you to come and offer me three solutions that you've already thought about so bringing them into the decision making into the thinking process and it wasn't just uh, child asking mother relationship it was now a collaborative relationship you come to me with three options that you've thought about can I have Saturday off well you know that we don't have Saturdays off blah 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 all the rules so come up to a, come up come to me with three options that you could you know whatever it is and ask them what they think sometimes people fall off their chair when you ask them what they actually think um, and contribution I think is more important 
than we can ever consider. Um, my husband was away over the weekend uh, playing at a soccer tournament with a bunch of old dudes. And he's, because he's getting a little bit older now and isn't as fit as he used to be, he's been relegated from his favourite in the centre position where he used to play up front and get all the goals and now he's kind of in the back. And he came back and he said, oh, all the glasses off the game because um, I'm not in my prime position anymore. I was like, what do you mean? You know, do you, is this macho thing? And he said, no, I just, I don't feel like I contribute to the team so much because he used to be in a primary role and, and contribute to getting the goals. And I think that to me, I was like, contribution and your ability to contribute to something meaningful is really important. And by bringing people into the conversation and being part of the solution is going to help them uh, and empower them to be um, deeper involved in the business and make an impact on the business. Um, and the more that you do this, usually when you first start asking what do you think or what do you think three solutions are, you'll probably get crickets. And I want to encourage you to hold the space, stay in the silence. Because you know when you get, have you ever had that? You ask a question and you get silence back. I want you to feel comfortable in the silence and just hold it. And if you don't get any answers this time, don't worry, do it again and wait because it will become more natural the more that you ask. The bonus is that you don't have to come up with all of the answers. Like I just remember being um, in a time in my business where I always just felt tense, you know, your shoulders are up. And when I realized that I didn't have to be the one that knew everything all the time, I could relax into business and people actually liked to contribute and it improved relationships and things massively. So I say, bring them in, bring them closer. Um, and we have to let down our walls uh, to do that. The second point I want to make is to make your environment safe to make mistakes. Um, and I believe that your communication goal as a manager should be to create a safe place for people to make mistakes. And I know that sounds like a really weird thing to do because um, we don't talk about it a lot like this, but I realized at some point I'm really fanatical about you know, everything being perfect and everybody having a good experience and the process is good. I want to give good customer service. Um, but the sooner I learned that is we're not going to get it right all of the time, um, I let go of that expectation and kind of settled into the fact that when we have mistakes, one, we need to laugh at it. And two, I'm probably the worst one that makes, I'm the one that makes the most mistakes probably. I set up these systems and then I have to follow them and I'm really bad at following systems. Um, and so I had to learn to laugh at myself and allow other people to make mistakes because I was making the most of them. But regardless of that, I embrace the mistakes. Um, at some point, we do need to try and improve, of course, but mostly don't apologize for them. And what the, the transformational thing, when you make it okay to make mistakes and do the same for other people, you'll improve trust in the relationships. And if you believe people mean well 97% of the time, 99.9% of the time, people actually mean well. They want to do good job, a good job. They want to be a good human. And we all make mistakes. We are just human. You know, um, people don't mean to make an error, but it will happen. And so we want to prepare ourselves for that and your business for it. So I almost think add it into the business plan, right? I see too many people holding back their team, apprentices, for example, or team members that aren't really up to the par because they can't do things perfectly and precisely, and we're too scared that they're going to make a mistake. I think, um, and I'm not saying here, lower your quality control, but I am saying 
be, be okay with letting people freeze for a little bit and um, let them loose at the 80% mark and be okay with making a mistake. Because the gap between 80% to 100% is where people will do the best learning and they will learn it faster. They will learn it in one mistake, whereas you could be batting your, um, the same sentence over and over again trying to get them to do a thing, whereas they can make one mistake and they'll learn it like that. And so I want to encourage you to make a space, laugh. Um, so there's five steps. Make it okay to make a mistake. Make a mistake. Laugh or apologize, whatever is appropriate. Obviously fix it, but get them to fix it. If we step in and save our people, they'll never learn the lesson. Work out how it won't happen again. Usually that's where systems and processes come into place. This is where you step into the system and processes when things break and then make a plan for onwards and upwards. So does that make sense? Mistakes are good. Uh, the third step is to match your people. So if we're speaking about mistakes, we can't expect our people to get um, us all of the time. And as leaders, um, we'll get the best from our people when we match them. And I'll tell you what I mean, when we understand our people. Um, when we feel like it's what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes and see things from their perspective, we will get a closer connection to them. So if we can communicate to them how they operate, not how we operate, um, and understand the communication style. Now, so next, the next exercise we're going to do is called birds of a different feather. We're going to learn about personality types. And if we can learn a personality type and we can match or mimic the other person, then we're going to have an improved communication and connection with that person. So seek to understand your own communication style so you then can understand the communication styles of those that are different to you. Um, and <clears throat> uh, the way I like to think about it is communicating for the receiver to best understand. So I know that I've done a good job of communicating to you when you understand what I've said and what you've heard is the thing that I intended to communicate. So I could say, you need to be better listeners. It could be one option and try and work on your listening skills, which is also a fair and valid option. But the only thing that I can control, I can't control your listening, but I can control the way that I communicate, the way that I the words that I choose to say, the expressions that I choose to engage with, and I want to best match the person that I'm communicating with. Does that make sense? So that's a shift. We need to match the person, meet the people where they're at, and make it about them. So uh, in doing this intensive, I you know, design the intensive, decide the story that I'm going to tell and share, and I get Zoe here to help do the slides um, and she does picks all the beautiful pictures and make sure it's very beautiful and we have a system and a template on how we do that and when yesterday when we were doing the worksheet for you guys and I said to her um, just copy these slides 5, 10, 15 and 12 please and can you make them good for the owners to use tomorrow of course she said and off she went and she made it look beautiful and then when I came to the worksheet there were some things inside of the worksheet that you guys couldn't have worked on, looked beautiful, but you wouldn't have been able to type on it, draw on it, all of the things. And so I said to her, um, Zoe, 
I failed to communicate to you how the owners are going to use this. The design is beautiful, but I didn't give you enough information. My first reaction, of course, is, oh, bloody hell, Zoe hasn't done it right. Bloody Zoe. That was my first instinct to go, um, it's her fault. How can she not understand blah, 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 blah. But no, it's not her fault. I didn't give her enough information. So we need to meet the people and, and think about it from Zoe's perspective. How on earth would she know? She's not here today. How on earth would she know what you guys are going to do in this workshop? She doesn't know. It's up to me as a communicator to communicate that to her. Does that make sense? Um, last point is before we communicate anything, this has helped me so many times, is to sanity check, sanity check anything that we say. Will what I'm going to say help the situation or the person that I'm speaking to or hurt the situation, the person I'm speaking to or even somebody else? And I love this. Um, will it help or will it hurt? It's always a good sanity check. It's a good one to teach to our team too because uh, once you get a bunch of humans in tight quarters, how we talk with each other is super important. And it's a really, really, really easy one when you know somebody's about to uh, maybe gossip or say something that potentially is uh, hurtful. Will this conversation help or hurt the person or the situation um, is always a good backstop. Hey, thanks for tuning in with me today and hanging out. It was good to have you here. What was your biggest takeaway from today's live masterclass? love to hear your thoughts and your aha moments so before I go if you're feeling like your team doesn't understand you and you're sick of them eye rolling when you ask them to do something instead you want your team to actually love working for you and with you so if this is you I'm looking to work with five salon owners in 2023 and to nail their team culture leadership strategy so they can actually live their true potential as a salon CEO. Now, if this sounds like you at all, all you need to do is to click the apply now button in the show notes of this episode. Let's see if salon mastery is the right fit for you. Otherwise, I look forward to connecting with you same time, same place next week on the podcast. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the podcast. Tune in every week as I reveal the latest insights and advice on what it takes to truly master your inner salon CEO and master your salon success. Subscribe to the Salon Owners Collective podcast on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at www.salonownerscollective.com. But make sure to join me in my Facebook group for answers to common questions and much, much more. Thanks for listening and I look forward to tuning in with you again next week.